Hey, good morning, Mosaic, and uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you. I, I always feel like we should have a disclaimer that we did not decorate this. Uh, just just uh, so people know, if, if you're here for the first time, uh, my name's Mike, and I'm not normally the guy that's up here doing this. Uh, uh, Aaron is uh, the lead pastor here, and, and uh, I tell you, it's kind of nerve-wracking for me to, to uh, be here because uh, uh, he sets the bar really high, you know. I, I think you got to agree with that. The guy is, does a tremendous job, and uh, I always feel fed when I come, and I and, uh, uh, hope that you can leave here uh, today as well <clears throat> feeling that way. But uh, we've been in this uh, series now. This is the third week, uh, and it's named uh, He Will Be Called, and we've been looking in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, at the verse there, and looking at the names of Jesus says that he will be called. And uh, the verse goes like this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And the first two weeks we we looked at the wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, and, and uh, today we want to look at that Everlasting Father. And, and it would be really easy to get sidetracked here uh, because uh, you could ask that question, uh, how can the Son of God be called Everlasting Father? And when you ask that question, you kind of enter into this minefield doctrine uh, that we call the Trinity doctrine. And the reason I say it's a minefield is because to try and really get a grasp of it, it's pretty much impossible uh, because it's something that we're not familiar with. We don't under, really understand it and we won't understand it until we're not here anymore. And unfortunately, none of us will be able to come back and explain it. But the Bible is very clear that, that God is one God but there are very distinct three different people. There is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. And although they make up one God, they're very separate and distinct. And that's just kind of mind-boggling, and it just feels almost frustrating at times to think about. And, and people have tried to explain it. You know, they've taken the egg, and they said, oh, it's kind of like an egg, it's an egg, but you have the shell, and you have the yolk, and you've got the, the white part. And, but yet, that's really not, not a good analysis of it. <laughs> it's kind of confusing, actually. But uh, uh, the thing that I want you to understand is that when, it, when we're looking at this verse... And it talks about everlasting father. It's not doing that because there's some confusion about whether Jesus is the father or, or Jesus is the son. It's simply stating because in reality, if, if you really look at, at the, the Hebrew there, where, how it's written, it says that it is the father of eternity, that Jesus is the father of eternity. And when you stop and think about that, that makes sense. The father of eternity. And the reason that he's called a father is because of the father-like qualities that, that we see in him. 
And when Isaiah makes this statement, everlasting father, that part father brings to mind a lot of different things to you and I. It brings about a lot of memories. It brings about a lot of emotions, uh, whether they be good or bad. And uh, I, I just thought it might be kind of fun to uh, have you take a look at, uh, at me with my dad. And so I, I brought some pictures with me this morning. And, and uh, so here I am. Uh, this is me in the nice little red jumpsuit there, uh, looking pretty cool. Uh, and uh, that's my dad there. And, and I've had some people that have looked at this picture and, and uh, thought that my dad was Mormon, uh, that he had three wives. Uh, but uh, we just had kind of a strange family because this is my oldest sister, Marilyn. And uh, Marilyn's 22 years older than me. And uh, so I actually have a niece that's a year older than me. And I have a niece that's a year younger than me. And one of my favorite pictures of my mom, and I, I couldn't find it because <laughs> uh, I think she destroyed it because uh, she hated the picture. But one of my favorite pictures of her is at church, she, is, she won the newest grandmother award for Marilyn's daughter, and she's pregnant with me. <laughs> and so it's kind of cool. She hated it, but I thought it was kind of neat. Um, so, uh, but this, that, that's my dad, and, and uh, that's my brother, Mark, and, and, and then my other sister, Ruth Ann. And so we kind of had this split family. And uh, um, so it was a little bit different. I think more of them as kind of secondary mothers, too. But, uh, and then we got this other picture here. <laughs> I, just, I just threw this in because I wanted to show, if you ever look through my family album, you'll notice I'd never smile because I don't have any teeth. And uh, in that picture, I do now, but I, I didn't then. And, you know, if you wanted to see something interesting, you should have seen me try and eat corn on the cob because I had basically two teeth on top here and two teeth here, and so I ate like this. And, I, you know, mom would have to clean out my ears after I get done and everything. But, uh, uh, you know, definitely I like to show that picture because definitely you can see who got the good looks, you know. Anyway, go ahead, next picture. Uh, here we are again, getting a little older. Notice no smile. You know, still no teeth. And uh, so, uh, but uh, that's the fam there. And uh, one, one, one more. This is my favorite because uh, I got the biggest fish, by the way. I just really am proud of that one. And uh, look how small my brothers are. <laughs> I really like that. But uh, uh, I tell you, I had a great relationship with my dad. Um, his name was Spent. That was his nickname. Uh, his Clarence Philip Chaplin was his real name. But he went by Spent. And we never really knew why he was uh, called Spent. Uh, but uh, we, I finally found out, talking to one of the old timers long after my dad had died, uh, that there was a dog in an old cartoon called Spent. And one day they called him that because he did something stupid. And the dog apparently did lots of stupid things, and it stuck. And so he always went by spent. And one of, the, you know, one of the greatest compliments that I get from people is when they tell me that, they remind, that I remind them of my dad. And if you've ever gotten an email from me, uh, my Gmail address is littlespent at gmail.com because that, that really does mean a lot to me. And I... I he was just one of these guys that was just fun. 
And I used to love his laugh especially because he had one of those contagious type laughs that uh, you couldn't help but laugh when he started laughing because he had one of these. <laughs> and my brother and I used to entertain ourselves because they used to send us to bed so they could watch the risque show, the Carol Burnett show. You know, and I don't know if you ever watched Carol Burnett or not, but when Tim Conway was on there uh, and, uh, you know, we used to be rebel kids and, and, and sneak a peek every once in a while and watch it, you know, but uh, we used to lay in bed and listen to them laugh. And it was hilarious because my mom would be just slapping her leg and, and laughing and my dad would just be going. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it just cracked us up and that's kind of how we entertained ourselves. And, and uh, uh, it was just uh, it was a fun time for us, and uh, I, I've got so many great memories of my dad sitting at the end of the table uh, at family gatherings and just telling stories, and we'd heard those stories over and over again, and the fact that made him so great is that nobody enjoyed him as much as he did, and he would get to laughing, and, and pretty soon we're all laughing, and they really weren't that funny, but they, they were great stories and we loved it, and I've got great memories of him, but uh, the reality is that not everybody has great memories of their dad, and uh, I never really realized that until I started working with youth in our, in our church, and uh, we used to have a Wednesday night program that they would bus these kids in, and we actually had a whole troop of people that did nothing but clean them up for the first 15 minutes that they were there because these kids came out of some very poor conditions and a lot of them had oozing ear infections that were just really gross and we'd clean them up and have changes of clothes for them a lot of times because we wanted them to be there but yet we wanted the teachers to be able to, to have a class without passing out from the smell. And uh, we, it was just uh, amazing as these kids got older and I started working with them in high school to hear some of the stories that, that they had about their dads. And, and the problem that I had with it so much is that we have a tendency to project the image of our father here onto our everlasting father as well. And as a dad, I have to tell you, that scares me to death to think that the picture in my kid's mind of God has a lot to do with me. And that's a scary thought because I understand how it is so easy for things to get real foggy and confusing when we begin to do that, when we begin to shape God or Jesus, the everlasting Father, into this mold based on our earthly father. And it's a dangerous thing because you may see a father who was never satisfied. Maybe you never heard the words, I love you or I'm proud of you. You try to be perfect for your dad because you felt like that was the only way you were ever going to be loved or accepted but that affirmation was never there. And when we see our everlasting Father in that way, when we see Him as someone who's never satisfied, 
We act like we need to earn his love. And that's not the case. Or maybe you, maybe you see a father who's always angry. Maybe when dad was home, you had to walk around on eggshells because you never knew when he was going to lose it and fly off the handle. And especially if you had friends over, man, the last thing you wanted to do was have your dad go berserk in front of them. And that's a sad thing. But it's a reality, and many people see him that way. And maybe your father, in anger, said things to you like, you're worthless, or you were a total mistake, or I wish you'd never been born. And maybe your father physically abused you, or even sexually abused you. And he hurt you deeper than words could ever express. And you hold that inside of you. And when you see your everlasting father as someone to be feared or someone that will hurt you, it's natural to just avoid him, to stay away from him, to run away from him. Or maybe you see a father who's, who's seldom there. Maybe your dad was, was never around. Many times for, for noble reasons. Uh, I mean, I, I, I know kids whose dad was, you know, in, in the service and was gone. He's just never around. He was, he was always gone on active duty, which... But, but, but that image being transferred to your everlasting father is, is a dangerous thing. And, and maybe, maybe the dad came home just long enough to, to clean up and leave again. And maybe even abandoned you and your mom and left you alone. And you, you never understood what you did to cause that. And when you see a Everlasting Father who's never around, you begin to, to question his existence or whether he even really cares. But to borrow a little Christmas term, I bring you glad tidings because it doesn't have to be that way. You don't need to see your everlasting Father through the lens of your earthly father. What you need to do is to understand the truth about what the Bible teaches us about this everlasting Father. And so I want to ask you just for a minute, if you're one of those people that has just got bad thoughts and bad memories of your Father, I just ask you to put those out of your mind for a minute and listen to these truths that the Bible teaches us about this everlasting Father. The first one is that your everlasting Father is compassionate. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And I looked up the term compassionate because that's, that's not really a, a, a term that we think a lot about as far as what does that really mean. We kind of know what it means, but, but what does it really mean? And the word is defined as suffering with another painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortunes of another. 
You see, compassion, it's this mixture of, of passion with love and sorrow. So when you think of this compassionate, everlasting father, you think of a father who sees you when you're in trouble. He sees you when you're in distress. And he not only sees you, but he is moved with compassion to come to you, to run to you. That's the picture of this compassion everlasting father is this one who knows that you live in a world where you get messed up. We get dinged and we get bruised. We live in a world of broken bones and broken relationships and, and broken hearts. And God, Jesus is our everlasting father. He sees that hurt. And that's different from a father who just stands back and lets you be hurt or hurt you. He is compassionate and gracious, and he reaches out to us. You know, the, the picture of Jesus on the cross is a great picture if you want to know what an everlasting father looks like, someone who is compassionate, because he understands what it means to be rejected, he understands what it means to have friends totally abandon you. People that you were really close to suddenly turn their backs on you and go, don't know him. He knows what it's like to be beat and to suffer when you didn't do anything wrong. That's a picture of an everlasting father who is truly compassionate. I remember when it dawned on me that there is nothing that I can do to make God love me more. I mean, if you really stop and think about that for a minute, there is nothing that you can do that can make God love you more. That's a truth. He loves you unconditionally. And if that is truth, then there's also this truth. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And you know, we spend a lot of time beating ourselves up because we're convinced that there's no way that God can love us. And that's such a freeing thing when we understand the redemption that takes place when we give our, our lives to Christ and we are set free from the bondage of not being good enough. Because he loves us unconditionally. And many of us have worked so hard to impress because we don't, we worry about being accepted. We work hard at going to church. We work hard at reading the Bible, saying the right prayer, memorizing the right verse. We work hard at this and that and this and that. And you know what? It's great to honor God by the life you live. but you don't have to earn his love. He handed that to you in Christ. He gave that to you. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. I love the paraphrase of the message where it says this, Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In other words, stop trying to be perfect. And stop beating yourself up when you're not perfect. Because you have this compassionate, everlasting Father that truly loves you. Secondly, the Bible tells us we have an everlasting Father who cares deeply for us. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. And Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, he kind of summed up that verse this way. He says, You are not an accident. Your birth was no mistake or mishap, and your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may have not planned you, but God did. He was not surprised by your birth. In fact, he expected it. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. It is not fate, nor chance, nor luck, not coincidence that you are breathing at this very moment. You are alive because God wanted to create you. See, we're not talking about an everlasting Father who who sits in heaven and watches us passively and wrings his hands and says, Oh boy, I hope they can figure this life out. He is a God who is invested in you. He demonstrated it on the cross, but even more so, he continues to invest in you on a daily basis. He guides, he directs, He disciplines. He gives you wisdom. All because he is a compassionate father. Someone who reaches out to you. Someone who cares for you deeply. Finally, we see an everlasting father who is always there for us. The prophet Jeremiah testifies in the book of Lamentations about the faithfulness of God and And Lamentations is a book that's written about the the captivity of the the people who uh, were taken captive by the Babylonians. And their temple had been looted and destroyed. And and the people were, they were just dying in captivity and very oppressed. And it was a very dark time uh, for the children of Israel. But their everlasting father had not left them and had not deserted them. And in Lamentations 3, 22 to 26, it says... Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You see, even in those moments, and I don't know if you've ever been in one of those really dark places where you just feel like you are totally alone. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to know what your problems are. And you feel like every time you pray, it hits the ceiling and falls back down. And it doesn't go anywhere. But he's there. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And I want to tell you something. That verse to me is one of those cornerstone, foundational things that I have planted and grabbed onto and said, I'm going to hang on to this because I need to know that. Because there are dark times that I've gone through in my life where I felt like I was all alone and I needed to look to that verse and be reminded that He is there, that my everlasting Father is there. I had a guy in our small group share that, that story about uh, how he visualizes God and Jesus sitting on this chair and, and when he was hurt, he would climb up into that lap and just, just be held. And when I think about that picture and he shared how he was in a point in his life where he just didn't want to live anymore and he just couldn't get up the next day and he said I finally would picture that in my mind and I would see Jesus inviting me there and I would just climb up there and and be held and know that it was going to be okay and he shared how that was just the only thing that really got him through that time <clears throat> And it was this everlasting Father that did that. There's lots of things that will change in our life, but there's one thing that won't, and that is a Father who is always there in Christ. Businesses and corporations come and go. You know, governments uh, rise and fall, but He's the same. The goodness that we find in Jesus today will still be good tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. He is the one thing that is constant. We've got one more slide for you. There I am, 20 years old with my first kid. I am a stud. I just got to tell you, yeah, just check that out. Mustache and all. I, had a, I could probably grow that mustache when I was in sixth grade. I hate to admit that, but I think I could have. <clears throat> but there I am uh, with my oldest daughter, Nikki. And bless her heart, she cried the first nine months of her life and just made us miserable, but uh, she's a real sweetheart. But when she was born, it was a really a bittersweet moment for me. Um, Went into labor uh, Sunday, and uh, it just kept going and stopping and going and stopping and going and stopping. And, and she was finally born, like, Tuesday afternoon. And 
All you guys know how exhausting labor is. I mean, come on, that was, I was exhausted. I mean, it was, I mean, this was, this was, you guys have to realize that this, this is 1979. This is before the internet. This is, you know, like four channels on television and things like that, you know, and I had to endure all those hours of labor with just that. No cell phone to text or anything. It was, it was tough. <laughs> and, uh, she finally came, and, and uh, it was so exhausting, and I was, just, I was just wiped from not sleeping and everything else. And, and uh, so when I went home, I uh, snapped a picture of her, and I went to my parents' house, and I stopped by because I wanted them to see a picture because they had decided that since it had been such a long ordeal that they weren't going to come to the hospital until the next day. And, and this, but I wanted them to see a picture, so I showed them. Went home and crashed. And uh, about one o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. And uh, it was my mom. And, you know, one o'clock in the morning, phone calls are never good. And she said, Come to the house, your dad's in trouble. And so I got in the car and I drove up there. It was like two blocks away. And I got there, and I could tell by the expressions on the rescue guy's face that things were not good. And uh, I walked in the house, and the doctor was there. The family doctor had driven over. Um, and he's trying to do some things. And he'd had a heart attack and in his sleep. And they loaded him in the rescue unit, took him to the hospital. And by the time we got there, the doctor greeted us with the news that he had not made it. And it kind of began this roller coaster ride for me of emotions. Because I tell you what, I, I would go to the hospital, and, and this was actually like where you got to stay in the hospital for a while after you had a baby. It wasn't like they said, oh, you're done, get out of here. Uh, you know, this was a time where you could actually stay for several days. And I would go to the hospital, and I would celebrate this new birth. And then I would drive to my parents' house and mourn the loss of my dad. And after having gone for several days without hardly any sleep, it was just very taxing. And, and by the time the funeral rolled around, I was just spent. And I really don't remember anything that was said at that funeral except one thing that my brother said. And I was amazed that he could even get up and talk at the funeral. But the one thing he said was, we will miss our dad. And our dad is gone, but he has not left us fatherless. You see, he had taken the time, he had made the effort to introduce us to this everlasting Father. Because it was really interesting, and my dad wasn't a Christian all of his life, but when he did become a Christian, he, he always wanted to teach the sixth grade boys Sunday school class. 
because he knew that after sixth grade it was hard to get boys to come to church and he wanted to make sure that they knew about this everlasting father. And he had lived that life that taught us what that everlasting father looked like. And I'll always be thankful for that. And I want to just talk to a couple different groups that are in this room this morning. Just for a minute. Because I know in a group this size that there are some of you gals, and I'll talk to you first, who have really been hurt by a dad. And whether you even realized it or not, you spent a lot of your time trying to be loved because of that hurt. Trying to look good enough. Trying to be perfect. And I want you to see this, this everlasting father that I'm holding out to you today. And I want you to see him as this person who looks at you and says, I made you. You are perfect. You don't need to try and gain anybody else's acceptance because you are mine and I love you. And there's guys here this morning who I know if they had the opportunity to pick up a baseball bat and take it to their dad, they would do it. And to you guys, I just want you to put the bat down. I know there's a lot of anger. I know there's a lot of hurt that's festered and boiled and become this ugly thing inside of you. And to you, I hold out this everlasting father that says, put it right here. Put it down. And then there's one other group. It's the dads that are here. I want you to know that your family needs you. And they need you to be a dad. And if I can share one thing that I've learned is that you can't do it by yourself. If you try and do it by yourself, you will fail 
miserably. You need that everlasting Father beside you. And I just want you to bow your heads right now, and I just want to close just in this way. If you're one of those people that we've talked about here that is just really struggling with this whole bad relationship with your earthly father that's got in the way of so much of your life, it's just messed you up. I just, I just challenge you right now to just be honest with God about that. To just lay it out there and tell him. And tell him that you want that everlasting father to be part of your life. Father, I know that there are people here that have been hurt. And I know that there are people here who are probably hurting others. And I just pray that this might be a season of change. When hearts are finally set free by letting go, when relationships are finally mended by turning to you. But most of all, I just pray for that person right now that's just feeling the need to be loved. And I just pray that you'll just wrap them in your arms and just hold them tight. And that every one of us here will recognize that we are your hands and we are your arms and that when we see those that need us that we will step up and go. You are such an amazing father and you've given us so much to be thankful for in this season and as we celebrate your birth we also celebrate your eternity. And we celebrate the fact that you are our everlasting Father and that you truly have demonstrated your love for us. Lord, we just lift you up today and just offer up our honor and praise. And we pray it all in your Son's name. Amen.